welcome to City Break Ideas, Episode 8. One of those in-between series episodes that allows me to just talk about lots of different cities, hopefully sow some seeds, give you some ideas, get some feedback from listeners. I've got two in particular that I'll be featuring a little bit later on with some very interesting ideas about the sort of place you could have a wonderful city break. But before that, exciting news, I've had some feedback. And not only that, some foreign feedback. I'm so excited. This is from a lady in Haute-Marne, so one of the northern French areas, and she's listened to the episode on Wells. You may remember or know that that's England's smallest city, and I featured an episode on it in the Bath series because it's a stone's throw from Bath, and therefore a nice day out from there. And I have some notes from her saying that she's just listened to it, and that she found that, wait for it, l'anglais est magnifique. The English was great. Thank you very much. But actually, even nicer to hear, de même que la voix. She liked listening to my voice. Well, there you go. She goes on to say that she learnt lots of stuff from it, some of them rather moving. I think she might be thinking about this sad story of the swans and the little signet who had to be moved away from all that he knew because he just didn't fit in. And then she says, a visit to Wells will be absolutely unmissable the moment that le cauchemar du virus sera passé. The nightmare of the virus has passed. Yes, I think we're all making travel plans for then, aren't we? I certainly am. And this particular listener will be on her way to Wells. So thank you very much to Cat de Chaumont, across the channel, across the channel from me at least, perhaps not from you, depends where you're listening, in Haute-Marne. And could I just say how nice to have somebody write in and say what they think. And if you would like to do the same, I will be giving the email address and the website address out at the end of the episode. This, I think, in fact, will be, because of Covid and various other things, the last episode, or the last proper episode, to go out this year, 2020. There will be a short update episode next week, just to let you know what to expect and when. But after that, a few weeks off, over the end of November and December, the festive period. Which brings me to the first section that I planned for today, because by the time you listen to this, Christmas won't be all that far away, and I thought it might be nice to just look at a small number of cities that are particularly nice to visit at Christmas. I guess no one's going to any of them this year, but we can all dream about next year and hope for better things. I found a long list of exactly this. I think there were 25 cities in it on an article on Twitter, and I had a look down and thought, which of those do I most fancy? And actually, the first two that leapt out at me were both in the same country, that being Austria. I actually once spent a whole year in Austria, lucky person that I was, and so I have a particular affection for it. And it didn't surprise me to see that both Salzburg and Vienna, I don't know why I said one in German and one in English, surely it's either Salzburg und Wien or Salzburg and Vienna. Anyway, I wasn't surprised to see that both of those were on the list. At Salzburg, you can go to the wonderful Christkindlmarkt, so the Christmas market, right in the centre of town in the main square. You might like to know that Salzburg is a UNESCO World Heritage Old City. So loads to see and do there. In fact, as I mention it, I'm thinking we must have City Break Salzburg at some point. For today, though, let me just mention that in the Christmas period, I'm not actually sure about this year, but normally they have Advent concerts at the Hohen Salzburg Fortress 
so the castle that overlooks the town square, where they're not averse to quite a lot of Mozart to get you in the Christmas spirit. Salzburg, of course, being Mozart's home city. And the other Austrian city that was listed was Vienna, the place where I actually spent most of my year abroad. They too have a fantastic Christmas market and loads and loads of other things to do. Yes, we must have City Breaks Vienna too one day. And I suppose perhaps the most Christmassy thing of all that you could do in Vienna would be to go to the Hofburg Kapelle to hear the Vienna Boys Choir sing during Christmas Mass. So the Hofburg is a former royal palace. It's on the Ringstrasse, which literally translates as Ring Road, but it absolutely is not a ring road like any other you've ever seen, because it's a long, sweeping, stately road with the opera house and the theatre and the National Gallery and the Hofburg and various other very well-known places all along its length. If you want a cheap treat in Vienna, actually, just get on the tram at one end or the other of the Ringstrasse and go along to the other, and you'll pass so many lovely things. Anyway, Christmas. New York was on the list, with a picture of ice skating at the Rockefeller Centre, and a reminder that you can always go shopping in Fifth Avenue, possibly window shopping if your finances don't stretch to actual shopping. And then you can do something which actually I have done, that is to go and watch the Rockettes at Radio City in one of their amazing, spectacular shows. At Christmas, clearly you'd want to go to the Christmas Spectacular. I, in fact, went to the Spring Spectacular, which was glorious. Amazing dancing, amazing sets, each one based on a New York landmark. It was an unforgettable evening. Pick two more places off the list. Let's go a little exotic. Reykjavik, why not? Where the nights are very long and very dark, so they're careful to string up loads and loads of lights all along the streets. And if it's a clear evening, you'll have the added bonus that you might be able to catch a glimpse of the Northern Lights. The Northern Lights, spectacular but slightly unpredictable, you may or may not see, but hopefully if you go in the Christmas season, you will come across a group called the 13 Yule Lads. Their name may make them sound a little bit like a stag party or the leftovers from a football match, but actually they're linked to local folklore and they are Iceland's equivalent of Father Christmas. And then finally, let's come back to Britain and mention Edinburgh. Of course, the classic winter visit to Edinburgh would be for New Year, or Hogmanay, as the Scots call it. But going just before Christmas is just as good an idea, really. Christmas markets, city centre ice skating, skiing just outside the city, and plenty of wee drams of whisky to warm you up. So, I hope that's left you with plenty of ideas for a future year, when Christmas is not quite so restricted a festivity as, sadly, it's probably going to be this year. Let's turn then to other things. The main part of the podcast, City Break Ideas. And I have three for your consideration. Actually, three plus quite a lot of spin-off ideas. And the first one I've taken from a travel website, travel blog, known as Via Volt. www.via-volt.com Those words being spelt V-I-R-E and V-O-L-T-E. I notice that their website is subtitled in English, Twirl Around the World. Their blog is much, much more than just, in inverted commas, city breaks, but they do have some very interesting cities covered, and I asked them whether I could feature one of them and some of their other ideas on the podcast, 
and very kindly they said, yes, go ahead. So I scrolled around to see what would take my fancy and hit on the post on Turin. Had a good look at that, lots of lovely photographs, lots of useful details, how to get there, train, car or plane, etc. All about how to get from the airport into the city and so on. Little section on history, talking about the Roman times, the days when Turin was a royal city, part of France, not Italy as it is today, how it became the capital of Italy after reunification in the 19th century, how it's the seat of the Fiat company, and a lot of useful information on what to see when you get there, about the historic centre, the plazas and the palazzos, the walks along the River Po, the two main museums which are devoted to two very Italian things, namely cinema and cars, lots of great recommendations about where to eat, telling you about the various sorts of food that you can get there, whether you want Piedmont gastronomy at a decent price, perhaps you want to find a Sicilian restaurant, maybe you're just looking for some good recommendations for cheap but tasty lunches. All the information is there on their blog, so it would definitely be a big help if you were planning a trip to Turin, telling you what's where and what they thought of it. There are some tips about your stay in Turin, so let me read you one or two of those. I'm a big fan of the first one, actually. Learn some words in Italian. I never understand how people go to another country and don't bother to perhaps at least learn excuse me and please and thank you. And they point out that actually in Turin you will find quite a lot of people who don't speak any English at all. So if you thought you were going to get away with just that language, think again. Then there are tips on coping with the weather when you get there. Tips on being aware that it is a town where quite a lot of people will come up to you, perhaps while you're eating, and try to persuade you to buy something you didn't know you needed, possibly don't actually need. It's nicely worded on the website, actually, where the advice is, practice to say no, lots of solicitation in the streets. Don't plan to drive in the city, they say. Everything is in walkable distance and the traffic is terrible. All good advice, I think you'll agree. I had a look round the rest of the blog to see what else might be of interest to City Break visitors, and I noticed a post called Top 5 Italian Cities, and they were Rome, Florence, Venice, Naples and Siena, and for each one, lots of detail, lots of pictures. So if you know it's Italy you fancy, but you just can't decide, that might help things along. There are quite a lot of posts on French cities, Bordeaux for example, really good on the wine and the history and lots of eating recommendations. Then there's Lyon, which they say is actually their second home. They have a flat there, which I think they rent out. And they say that although it's the third biggest city in France, after Paris and Marseille, it's got a very different vibe. Quieter, less international, more, as they put it in inverted commas themselves, traditional and French. They recommend Lyon for its cultural heritage, for its artistic life, and its architecture. I'm not sure if they mentioned the food, but I do know that Lyon is particularly a draw for people who like a bit of good gastronomy. And a third French town, good for a weekend break, is Annecy, A-N-N-E-C-Y, which they describe as being a small town with an astonishing emerald lake view, surrounded by nature, mountains, and generally places to escape to. So why not consider that? And then just lastly, before we leave their blog, let me just mention Amsterdam, which they pick out specially as being one of their favourite cities in Europe. Actually, I think they said 
favourite cities in Europe so far. So lots more travelling being planned by the sound of it. But they said they find it more intimate than London or Paris, but with a very strong cultural richness. Again, they mentioned the architecture, the gastronomy, the art, and in fact, also very much a part of Amsterdam, the bicycles. Not sure if they mentioned the canals, but perhaps they took that as red. So there you go, lots of different ideas. Thank you very much, Virvolt. You can find their website at www.vir-volt.com. You can find them on Twitter as well, at voltvir. Not sure why those two words are one way round in the website name and the other way round in the Twitter handle, but I guess if it's all to do with twirling, perhaps that does make sense. Anyway, have a look. Lots there that I've mentioned and lots and lots more that I haven't. Other cities and other places in general. The two authors describe themselves as a digital nomad couple and say that the point of their website is to record the travelling around the world that they've been doing, blogging as they go, so they can share with you lots of the adventures that come their way. Actually, rather sadly, just at the moment, at the top of their Twitter feed are the words currently quarantined in France. But let's face it, if you're going to be quarantined somewhere, there are worse places than France, are there not? Anyway, do have a look. And that brings me then to the second travel website that I would like to feature today, one called Travel the World, which you can read all about on the website travelTheWorldClub.com. Run this time by a solo traveller, Barry, who tells us on the homepage quite a lot about himself, about the career that he's possibly postponed, possibly left behind, I don't know, in management, and how he decided to do a bit more travelling because he had so much enjoyed the little bit of travelling he'd already done. This is how he puts it. I quit my job with enough in savings to help me take a year or so travelling. I planned, booked, paid for and embarked on my first four trips. Ireland, Morocco, Malta, Monaco. Not too far, I hear you say, but these were just the start of it and I wanted to ease in gently. The Morocco trip was actually visiting three cities there and travelling by public transport between them kind of a mini-tour on my own. I loved it all, found in myself a confidence I never thought I had, found I could take any mishap or adventure in my stride, and more importantly, I came back with a thirst for more. The website is super extensive. I think he says at some point he's already visited every country in Europe, and his stated aim is in fact to visit every country in the world. Barry was in fact 40 countries into this project before he started the blog, so he's catching up a bit, but nevertheless many of the places he has already written about. I had a good look round and decided that perhaps for today's episode I would pick out the post that he's written on Venice. Let's stay in Italy, I thought. First Turin, now Venice. For each post that he's written you get an introduction to the city, a few lines of trying to capture the feel of it before it goes on to the main part of the post. So here is Barry's introduction to Venice. Wonder at the sights on the island of Venice. Explore the alleyways. Get lost in the decadence of the buildings, the uniqueness that Venice holds for tourists the world over. Cue to see the palace. It's worth it. Drink Aperol in St Mark's Square. Take a gondola. Cheesy but fun. Take the path of the condemned man over the Bridge of Sighs. And do not forget to take a water boat along the canals. Benvenuto a Venezia. 
lovely. A little bit of the language in question does make you feel a bit more in the spirit, I always feel. So the post after that has a real what I did there feel to it. So you're finding out about Venice and seeing lots of great photos, but you're also getting tips about how to get there, where to stay, what's worth seeing, the queues you can expect, the prices, all that sort of thing. It would definitely help you plan if you were going. Again, if you're not quite sure where you want to go yet, if you look at a few of Barry's posts, I think they'll give you quite a feel for each place and how they differ from one another and help you make your mind up. Barry opted to stay, in fact, not in city centre Venice, but on the island of Murano, a very short boat trip away. And he seems to do an awful lot of walking, exploring on foot and seeing what comes along as well as making sure to include the things that he knew about in advance. So, for example, on the first morning, I think it was, he describes a walk that went to, quote, Campo San Giovanni e Paolo, a majestic square with fabulous buildings, resplendent in different architectural styles. I was captivated at the site, and this was just a minor square. My visit had started well. He certainly went to all the main sites too, and he tells you, how he found them. The Rialto Bridge, he said, so busy, even off-season. St Mark's Square and the Basilica, yep, very famous, but also very good, don't miss them. He decided, in fact, that queuing twice there, once for the cathedral and once for the next-door Doge's Palace, was plenty, and that this time he wouldn't go up the bell tower, the Campanile. He'd leave that for next time. So you get the flavour. He tells us too about Murano, where he actually stayed. Quote, I loved the glass sculptures in public areas, the views across the lagoon to all sides, and the feeling of tranquillity after the hectic crowds of Venice. He tells us how he wandered through the streets, seeing the brightly coloured houses along the canals there, noting that they often feature on postcard images. He tells us about the quayside cafe, where he watched passing boats and got views of the canal bridge, and generally just enjoyed what he described as, quote, the peace and quiet of the idyllic island. So then, Venice. City breaks Venice, anyone? I think so. And then I had a look round the rest of the website, where I found so many different things. And each post is similar in flavour to the Venice one, so very much, yes, what there is to see there. Also, how Barry found it and his tips on things he learnt while he was there. About transport, about money saving, about what's near where and therefore makes a good morning or afternoon's visit. So just to pick at random, a few cities that he's mentioned. In fact, I made a point of choosing five that I personally don't know anything about. A learning experience, if you will. So, staying in Europe to start with, Minsk, he says, the capital of Belarus a city of immaculately clean, orderly streets, wild boulevards, grand buildings. It has, he says, an ex-Soviet feel about it. A country, quote, that doesn't shout about itself and is relatively unvisited. If Eastern Europe is your thing, or something that you feel drawn to, then yes, Minsk, why not? There's a post on Dubrovnik too. The city, of course, you may know where most of Game of Thrones was filmed. An ancient city, classical buildings, towers, magnificent sea walls. And one of Barry's many tips is, bring good walking shoes. There are lots of hills and steps everywhere. But don't miss walking round the city walls. 
the views are out of this world over the sea and the rooftops. Allow plenty of time for this because they are extensive. And thirdly then, another example from Europe, the Swiss city, which has two pronunciations for its name, depending on whether you're thinking in French or in German, and that will be Baal or Basel, described as follows. A city full of winter-ready stone buildings with overhanging sloping roofs in multicoloured wooden boards. Listing some of the sites, Barry mentions the City Hall Tower, the tram-filled Central Square, the twin-spired cathedral, the turreted city gates. And one of his final tips, don't miss the modern art gallery, full of amazing artworks, or the big city pond, full of weird and wonderful mechanical mini-fountains. Every city that City Breaks has covered so far has been in Europe. I do keep thinking that one day we must go a bit further afield, and so via Barry's website I've picked out two more cities that do exactly that. The first one is Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates, about which he says, there's one word for this city, mosque. The city has one of the biggest and most fabulous, picturesque, modern and colourful mosques I have ever seen. So you really, really mustn't miss it. I think he said he took 124 photographs of it. And actually it is a feature of this website that there are loads of photos. He talks too about the groups of massive skyscrapers, many of which he found, quote, actually very stylish. And he tells us about his trip up to the top of the tallest one, where there's an observation deck for views over the whole city and the Gulf Sea, complete with promenade and beach. And, he adds cryptically at the end, let me ask you some warnings about sea snakes, though. And finally then, an American city, the Windy City, Chicago, which Barry describes as one of his favourite cities. Famous for its tall skyscrapers, its lakeside position, the Chicago Philharmonic Orchestra, stunning lakeshore gardens, art galleries and museums galore, wonderful shops on Michigan Avenue, riverboat trips... And, he adds at the end, of course, the famous loop transport system. So, five ideas for you right there then. Thank you very much. And I would like to just finish that section by saying that it really is absolutely not all about cities at all, even though there are dozens of cities on there, but there's so many other types of travel mentioned as well in countries all over the world. A great site for browsing if you are at all afflicted by wanderlust. I have a feeling, actually, if you're not, you might be when you've spent an hour or two with the website. So just to remind you once more of the address, www.travelltheworldclub.com Travel the World Club being written as all one word, no spaces. So a big thank you then to both those websites for lots of interesting content for today's episode. And just to finish, I wanted to mention a completely different website, one called Triptipedia, so the word trip followed by the word tip and then E-D-I-A, which is described as a free collaborative encyclopedia of travel tips. It has over 800 contributors. Some of them are travellers, some of them are locals, tour operators, tourism departments, anybody who can write to their standard really. And so what you get on there is a whole lot of posts by people who know what they're talking about. It's well illustrated. I think they stipulate that the longer articles have to have at least five pictures to illustrate them. It's a little bit browse it and see, see if what you're interested in can be found, or just have a look and see what's there. 
and see if you're interested. Both ways work, I think. And so to give you an example, I've picked out one contribution on the city of Bratislava in Slovakia, authored by someone called Joe Explores. I think she too almost certainly has her own website, but this particular piece is there on Triptopedia. She writes about how she visited Bratislava, just a short visit really, on the way to somewhere else, spent two or three hours there, but liked it very much and decided to write an entry about it. She's added in a dozen pictures or so, gives you entry times, prices, descriptions of the various places that she went. Really plenty of information to help you decide if it's somewhere that you would either like to pop into en route between two other places or possibly go for a bit longer and make it a stay in its own right. I have quite a lot of cities on my must-do-a-city-break series on that list. I have to say that Bratislava has not been on it. I have to add that having looked at the post, I thought, hmm, does look nice. Add it to the maybe list. We can read from Joe's writing and see from her pictures that it has a medieval old town, somewhere where Hungarian nobles built Baroque palaces but also somewhere where you'll find plenty of trendy cafes and boutiques. Things to do would include wandering through the old town, the historic centre, the prettiest bit, says Joe, narrow streets, Baroque architecture, fairy tale churches and palaces. She talks about the main square, which has, I'm afraid, a totally unpronounceable name in Slovakian, but I'll have a go. Lavne Namesti, possibly. One of those pretty squares with colourful houses all the way round it, and a beautiful fountain in the middle, which dates from 1572, and was at that stage the town's main public water supply. There's a ten-metre column, there's a statue of a knight on top, and Slovakian legend tells you that if you pass this fountain on New Year's Eve, if you have behaved yourself all year, if you're a good-hearted Bratislavan, then you will see the statue bowing to you. If the statue doesn't bow to you, that's telling you you need to mend your ways. They seem to like their statues and sculptures. There are some all round the city. And the thing to do in Bratislava is to go around with your camera and get someone to take photos of you with each of them. So, for example, on the corner of Main Square, you could be pictured with one Lama Ignac, described as a cheerful elderly man who was popular in the city during World War II and who has been remembered ever since for his cheerful, joyful greetings and the fact that he inspired everyone he met bit more communist in style, there's another statue entitled Man at Work, a bronze sculpture of a worker climbing out of a manhole. And from looking at the post, I must just give a mention to what I thought was the most beautiful building in the whole city, and that's the church officially called the Church of St Elizabeth of Hungary, but known to all and sundry as the Blue Church, because it is in fact painted all over in shades of pale blue with blue mosaics inside and out. The roof itself is tiled with blue glazed ceramics. And in the photos it does look absolutely stunning. Dates from the early 20th century, Art Nouveau in style, and a little walk from the main centre of the town, 10 or 15 minutes or so, but it did look as if it was unmissable. So, an idea then of sort of the atmosphere, what kind of things you can expect to see if you go there, and a handy section at the end, on traditional Slovak food, which has all got completely unpronounceable names, but thankfully we get translations for each one 
which both make you want to set off there and also would be handy to take with you in case one day you do find yourself trying to decipher a menu in Bratislava. So let me just read a few of the things from it and I'll attempt the proper Slovakian name before I tell you what it actually is. If you order Brindose Haluski, you will get potato dumplings with sheep cheese and bacon. And then mysteriously, if you order Zemiakove Plaki, you get potato pancakes. Now the linguist in me is expecting to see the same word in both of those phrases because they've both got potatoes in them. Not there. Oh well. If soup's your thing, you could look out for kapustnika, which is cabbage soup, or gulasova polivka, goulash soup. There's a dish entitled something I really can't pronounce, which is fried cheese with chips and tartar sauce. And then when we get to the sweet stuff, parene bushti, sweet steamed bun dumplings filled with jam and sweetened with poppy seeds, cheese or chocolate. Cheese, really? Oh well. And lastly, siski which are fried donuts. So there, ho-ho, a flavour of Slovakia and indeed Bratislava. That's more or less it for today. Let me just end by reiterating that City Breaks is going to take a short break quite soon. There'll be one more episode next week, just a little update really, and a taster episode for the brand new series, which excitingly is going to start after Christmas. But although the podcasts won't be coming quite so regularly for a few weeks, that doesn't mean we don't want to hear from you. Please do have a look at the blog and send us a message if that's your preferred way of communicating. www.citybreakspodcast.co.uk Or you can send an email citybreaks at citybreakspodcast.co.uk Or find us on Twitter at citybreakscast. Any comments on anything you've heard would be fascinating. Any suggestions for a City Break idea would be very welcomed. As indeed would any other ideas. For example, have you read a book recently, a biography or a history perhaps, that tells you lots about the background to a particular city? If you have, we'd love to hear about it. Then we can tell everybody else. For the moment though, I'm going to sign off by thanking you very much for listening It's only at this moment that it strikes me it would have been fun to look up the Slovakian for thank you and goodbye. This, I'm afraid, I did not get round to. But, since quite a lot of today's content has been Italian-based, perhaps I can get away with just doing that in that lovely language, which I would not claim to speak, which I do understand a little bit of, and so I'm relatively confident that if I say the following, I will indeed be thanking you and saying goodbye in what you might call Bonafide Italian. So here goes then. Grazie mille. Arrivederci. <laughs>